morning, everyone. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're visiting with us uh, and you're like, well, where can I read that? Do you want one of these biographies of Jesus called the Gospel of Mark? Just slip your hand up. We'll have an usher come and provide you with one of those as our gift to you. Uh, we are studying this biography of Jesus, and we're going to be looking at three episodes this morning, as uh, Courtney read to you. There's three episodes in this. There's the episode with the leper. There's the one with the paralytic, and then there's the one with the tax collectors and sinners. And so we are actually going to be looking at the tax collectors and sinners one first, but before we do that, let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage. We do pray that the light of Christ, as we sung, would shine on our hearts today in fresh ways and powerful ways. In Jesus' name, amen. So... Before we even look at the issue of the tax collectors and sinners, that first episode, I did want to just briefly talk about this concept of the kingdom of God. Uh, Dave talked about it the last couple of weeks, but it's just very, very important. It's like this long shadow that is cast over the entire biography of Jesus. If you don't get the kingdom of God, then you don't really get what Jesus is doing. And so if you look at the, the paradigmatic statement, the pattern setting statement of this, is on page 8 in this biography. It's chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. And it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Where gospel means good news. He's proclaiming the good news of God, saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel, in the good news. And so... Jesus came announcing that the good news of the kingdom of God is at hand. And here at New City Church this morning, we want to say to you the same exact message. It's a real privilege and joy for me to announce to you that still, the good news of God is that the kingdom of God is at hand. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And uh, one of the things that we're going to see, there's a little conflict between Jesus and the religious establishment. And what we're going to see is that this idea of the kingdom of God, that it was, uh, it was coming to all the wrong people in all the wrong places, uh, at least according to the religious establishment. And so we're going to see on uh, a couple of these episodes some of the conflict, but how Jesus is, uh, in a sense, victorious over it. So this phrase, the kingdom of God, you know, it's the you know, famous princess bride. You keep using that term. I don't think it means what you think it means type situation. It's kind of like you kind of know what it is uh, if you've been a Christian a while, but then you kind of don't. Um, if you're new, it's like, well, what is the kingdom of God that you're talking about? So just by just kind of brief review, I, I think of it as like this constellation of stars, okay, that the Old Testament uh, prophets, the Bible's one big story, and so Jesus comes on the scene, in a sense, kind of out of nowhere, but he's fulfilling, the time of fulfillment is at hand, and so there are all these kind of prophecies and expectations that the people of God, Israel, had that was to bless them, but also it was for the story of the whole world. The, the Bible teaches that so as goes Israel, God's people, so goes the world. And so Israel was in exile because of their sins, and they were looking forward to and hoping for this idea of the kingdom of God. And so here's some of the elements that were prophesied in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible leading up to <clears throat> the coming of Jesus. The prophets prophesied a new heavens and a new earth. So there you go. <laughs> That's like the whole kit and caboodle, right? So this expectation of the kingdom of God is not small-minded. It's actually not just for the Jewish people then and there. But the, the idea that the kingdom of God would break in would mean that there would be a whole new world. <laughs> for all you Aladdin fans. <laughs> okay? The restored kingdom itself, the idea there is the kingship of David. God had promised David long before, in 1,000 B.C., 1,000 years before Jesus, that he would have a son sit on his throne that would rule forever. And so part of the, one of the stars in the constellation of the kingdom of God was a new heavens and a new earth, but also a, a seed of David, a, a son of David, who was also maybe called the son of man in Daniel chapter 7. He's the anointed one. That's where we get this idea of Christ. He was also the servant. That's really important for Mark because Mark bases a lot of his story on Isaiah. And Isaiah chapter 40 through 55 or so talks about this coming one as the servant. One of the key verses in Mark is Mark 10, 45. It says that the Son of Man came not to uh, be served, but to serve 
and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's an homage to Isaiah, the servant, the coming anointed one who would bring God's kingdom and God's program. The temple would be restored, and that's just not about a physical building. The main blessing about the temple is that God's presence was there. And so one of the stars in the constellation of this kingdom is that God's very presence himself would come. In fact, Mark 1, 1 through 3 talks about that. He quotes two uh, passages, one from Malachi and one from Isaiah, that talk about the Lord himself. John the Baptist was preparing the way for the Lord, God's presence. So when Jesus comes and he's announcing the kingdom of God, like, that's a big deal, okay? Forgiveness of sins. Again, this is not just like any old forgiveness of sins. If you, were in that, if you were a Jewish person at that time, you could have gone to the tabernacle, you could have gone to the temple, and you could have gotten your sins forgiven. There was a mechanism for that. When the kingdom of God comes, or in, in quotes there, the return from exile, those are two par uh, parallel ideas. When they were in exile because of their sin. If you get out of exile, it's because God has completely obliterated all the sin. And so Jeremiah 31 talks about this, that there's a forgiveness that will cleanse them from everything. And so Jesus is coming announcing forgiveness of sins. The Jews knew about forgiveness of sins. Jesus kept talking about the capital F, forgiveness of sins. And what was so infuriating to the religious establishment of the day is that all of this kingdom stuff was happening centered and oriented around Jesus himself. <laughs> they were thinking, well, if the kingdom of God is going to come, surely he's going to do it through our leadership. <laughs> and Jesus is like, actually, no. I'll send John first, who's out in the wilderness, literally. If you want to connect with God, go there, away from the religious establishment. And now Jesus is taking the party, the kingdom of God, to the religious establishment. The Holy Spirit will come on everybody. Young women, old women, young men, old men. The Bible's the one that uses the adjective old there, not me. In this kingdom, justice and peace will fill the earth. So the this full and final forgiveness will come, but also, and when this kingdom comes, the prophets, Ezekiel especially, says, I will cause you to walk in my ways. Your disobedient heart will be put off, and you'll have a new heart, and you'll just want to obey God. Then, you know, wonder of wonders, miracle of miracles. What's that? Uh, Fiddler on the roof, baby. No, okay, not, not many fans. Gentiles would join God's people. That was like the unthinkable. The ultimate outsiders would join. And then lastly, God's enemies would be judged and defeated. So that's the kingdom. And so when you know, Jesus is coming into you know, these regions of Galilee, kind of the northern part of Israel there, and he is preaching and teaching, this is what he's preaching and teaching. This is what he is announcing. It's a big deal, and he's orienting it all. He's centering it all on him. And so you can see this is a big deal for us. You know, if you're here and you're looking for renewal, you're looking for forgiveness, you're looking for belonging, you want to know who the living God is, you want your sins forgiven, all of that is being announced by Jesus Christ. He's saying, hey, good news! It's here! The kingdom of God is here! Now, we also know that it's not yet fully realized, and so we live in that tension but this is what Jesus is going around preaching, teaching, and proclaiming. And it's what we here at New City want to proclaim as well. The good news of the kingdom of God is here. And you can get a taste of it right now. Now, let's look at these episodes then. So this is what Jesus is doing. And we're going to actually look at the third episode first. So go to chapter 2 and verse 13. And this episode is where Jesus says, I came not to call the righteous but sinner. So let's go through this, and we're just going to try to, this one actually sets up, like if you get this one, it kind of helps you understand the other two episodes, that's why we're doing it first, and you'll see that connection as we go along, but in this, I just want us to kind of enjoy a little bit of Mark's storytelling. Uh, a couple of the scholars that I was reading this week talk about Mark's style in Greek, again, my Greek is good, but it's not quite good enough to pick up on all the stylistic type stuff, but they talk about how Mark is a little bit of a yarn spinner. Okay, he includes some extra details here and there that the other gospel writers don't to try to draw you in. You know, he's, his gospel is shorter, but the miracles that he, he talks about, he talks about them longer. 
And so uh, there's some details in here that kind of help us get into the story a little bit. And so we'll try to note those as we go along in these episodes. So first, Jesus went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. What was he teaching them? He was teaching them about the kingdom of God, all that consolation that I was just talking to you about. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, Levi, by the way, is also known as Matthew, who wrote the Gospel of Matthew, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, probably Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples for there were many who followed him. And so the scene here is that Jesus is he's walking along, he's announcing and teaching and proclaiming the kingdom of God, and he specifically stops and reaches out to this guy named Levi or Matthew, and he says, hey, you, I want you to follow me. And so again, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you're following him, you're part of the crowd, that is going to be a little bit of like, whoa, you're passing the tax booth, and the emotional response you probably would have had as you passed the tax booth would have been like, Rrr. that was not your favorite place to go. You ever go into a room, it's like, oh man, that room gives me bad vibes, right? Hopefully not this room. <laughs> That's what the tax collector booth would have done to, again, not every Jew, but most of them. They were working for Herod Antipas, who was kind of a puppet king who basically served Rome. So if you were a Jew working at that tax booth, you were lacking integrity, you were taking bribes and charging interest, which was against the law of Moses, and you were betraying your own people. So not high on the list. You know, if the kingdom of God is going to break in to the Jewish nation, it's going to be in spite of people like the tax collectors, not for the tax collectors. They're the reason we're in exile, is what the religious establishment would say. They're the ones who are breaking the law. And Jesus says, hey, you, tax collector, come with me. And if you're with Jesus, you're like, all right, I guess so. Let's see how this goes. By the way, it's not in this text, but it's just worth noting that Jesus also calls Simon the Zealot. You know the Zealots, right? They hated tax collectors. They used guerrilla warfare. So in Jesus' crowd is a tax collector and someone who wanted to kill tax collectors. And he changed both their lives. That's a good word for us that we can find unity in ways that we are, are fresh and surprising in Jesus. So then he comes to Levi's house and then there's, lo and behold, there's like lots of those folk there. And so I guarantee you, you know, Peter, James, and John, they are uncomfortable. This is not where we're supposed to be. These people are, they have a, a kind of a moral code in the law, and then they have a, like a religious code, which were different. You know, there are certain rituals to be clean, and then there's also morality that would make you morally clean or unclean. And the tax collectors and the sinners were violating both. And Jesus is eating with them. Now, to us, that may not seem like a big deal, although I think we kind of get it. Like, you know, he's inviting these people in, or they're inviting him into their close personal space. And it was a, this word reclining has this idea of, of a celebration, of a, of a festivity. They're celebrating something. <laughs> Certainly they'd be expecting, well, if Jesus is going to go there, then those people aren't going to be happy because he's going to, like, make their life miserable. No, those people were finding fellowship and inclusion with God's Son in ways they never thought they would be able to get. It's just interesting to me that the religious leaders are even there watching it. They're just kind of like little tattletales, just following Jesus around. What's he going to do now? What's he going to do now? And they're grumbling. Why is he eating? Why is he fellowshipping, receiving them into felt, uh, uh, to, uh, communion with him? And he's doing this all under the banner of the kingdom of God is coming. So the kingdom of God is coming, and the tax collectors and sinners are getting the benefit. Absurd. And so Jesus shares a proverb with them. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. 
I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so what we see here in this whole coming of Jesus and the announcement of the kingdom of God, he, he draws a parallel between being physically sick and spiritually slash morally sick. And, and here's Jesus announcing the kingdom of God and saying, it's specifically for the people who are not well. Now, Jesus is not creating here, by the way, two classes of people. Like, well, you guys are righteous, don't worry about it, I didn't come for you anyway. No. He's being ironic there. People who think they're well are going to miss out on the kingdom of what I'm doing because I actually came for people who are sick and who know it. And again, sickness here is functioning on two levels, physically and spiritually. Isaiah 53 talks about this. Again, the servant passages, where the servant comes and by his wounds we are healed. And what's that talking about? Is it talking about physical healing or spiritual healing? Which is it? Kingdom of God? Yes. By the suffering of the servant of God, the Messiah, the anointed one, people, human beings, are being healed physically and spiritually. And Jesus says, this is who I came for. Now, when Jesus says, I came, that, that word, I came, alludes back to chapter 1, the introduction, which again is a, is a shadow over the whole thing. There it says that, God, or that, that the Lord is sending a messenger who will prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. That was a divine coming. That's one of those stars in the constellation where God himself is going to come back and his presence is going to come to Israel. And so what Jesus is saying is that God himself in human form has decided to bring his kingdom to earth and the people that he's coming for are the people that know they're not well. I'm just like, oh man, that is so good. That is good news. Really good news. Unless, of course, you don't think you need it. Unless, of course, you're comfortable in your current life. I mean, what Jesus is bringing, uh, I used to be a chaplain for the basketball team and the, and the football team up in Smyrna. And I used to tell the kids that if you come to Jesus, you can't change your life enough to come to Jesus. But if you come to Jesus, he's going to change your life. So if you don't want change, then don't come. So if you're just totally comfortable in your current life and circumstances and situation, and you want things to remain as they are, then the kingdom of God may not be for you. The kingdom of God is for people who are longing for change. They're longing for renewal. They're longing for personal and cosmic renewal. And they know that it's all centered and oriented around this person of Jesus of Nazareth. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. He was calling them to repentance, by the way. He wasn't just affirming all of their lifestyle. It says, I came to call. Call to what? Well, again, back to chapter 1, verses 14. The call is, the good news of God is here. Repent and believe the good news. And so you can imagine if you're a tax collector, you didn't get along with a religious establishment anyway, and there's a new powerful prophet in town who's saying you can be restored to God and his kingdom apart from the Pharisees and that religious system, and they're going, "Woo! yes! That's why they were celebrating. God was doing a new thing, but a thing that he had long prophesied. Now, that sets us up for these other two stories. When we see this parallel between you know, the, the physically ill and the spiritually ill, that's a, a perfect dovetail to what we see now with the leper. So let's go to this story with the leper. And again, just try to enjoy and soak up some of the, the truth and the, the way that Mark tells this story about Jesus. Verse 39, he went through all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, casting out. So what's he doing? Again, kingdom of God, kingdom of God. And I want to say it again. If you're here and you've never experienced Jesus, I'm telling you, you can enter the kingdom of God today. That's what Jesus is consistently teaching and preaching. 
and a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. And then here's one of the details that Mark tells that nobody else tells. Moved with, say it, pity. Moved with pity. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. The, the leprosy here is probably, you know, we, we think of it as Hansen's disease. That's what the modern thing is, you know, kind of, it's, sorry, the fingers fall off and nodules and all that kind of stuff. Probably not, that wasn't very common actually, historians tell us in the first century. It would have been any kind of skin disease that was obvious and recurrent. Leviticus 13 and 14 talk about this, that if you had this type of skin disease, then you were to be separated. Uh, from, you, were, you were not morally necessarily impure, but you were ritually, you know, the rituals of God's people made you unclean, and so you were not permitted to worship in the temple. And because, you know, from the hygienic standpoint, they were aware of the hygienic standpoint, the contagious nature of skin diseases, you would have also been removed socially. So the very center of your life as a Jewish person was your religion and your community, and as a leper, you would have been removed from both. You know, when it says that Jesus reached out and touched him, again, here's Mark, like when was the last time somebody touched that leper? When was the last time someone hugged him, put his hand on his shoulder? We don't know. But it wasn't recent. And you see some of the, I said this the first service, the word desperate's overused, but I just think it's the right word here. The leper came to him. That was an act of boldness and faith in and of itself. And then it was imploring. He wasn't just like, you know, you know he, he wasn't shy about it. Like, excuse me, Jesus, you know, hey. And then Jesus, oh, hey. He was imploring. Almost like begging. And then he gets down on his knees. This just does something. I mean, has anyone ever addressed you in this position? Not, I don't even make my kids do this. <laughs> That's this is a joke. There's a humility. There's a reverence about this leper. He has heard about the kingdom of God. He has heard about what Jesus has been doing for people like him, curing people of diseases and casting out lepers. And, or casting out demons, excuse me, not casting out lepers, bringing them in. Um, and then you hear his faith. He says, I know you can make me clean, if you're willing. And then it says, Jesus was moved with compassion. That's pretty much the strongest Greek word that exists to talk about your gut. The old King James sometimes translates this phrase, bowels of mercy. Deep within Jesus' soul. You think about that, the Son of God, the Son of Man, who he is in all of his glory and majesty and fullness. And when he encounters a leper who's expressing faith in him, the deepest part of God is moved with compassion. This is who our God is. God in the flesh. Jesus Christ was moved with pity. And he reaches out his hand and touches him. And he says, oh, I'm willing. I am willing. Be clean. That's good news. Verse 42 says, and immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. The, the Greek says, and it left him and went from him. <laughs> Doubles it up. That leprosy was gone. The power, 
of Jesus. And again, going back to Mark 1, 1 through 3, this, this introduction that Mark wants to get us ready for the biography of Jesus. Who is this cat? Who is he? What's he about? And he says, the messenger is going before him to prepare the way of the Lord. This is God's presence coming back to Israel to return them from exile, to bring the kingdom of God. And who does he bring it to? Tax collectors and sinners who would have been separate from the worship and religious establishment, and lepers who were separated from their community and separated from the worship as well. And now, now God in the flesh and the person of Jesus Christ is bringing them into his kingdom. Now interestingly here, just to finish up this little episode, Jesus sternly charges this guy, hey, don't tell anyone this other than the priests. Now I think it's great that he says tell the priests, one, it does restore the guy back to the community and potentially back to the regular religious rhythm of life, which is, okay, all well and good. Although, at that point, does he really want to go back to that? Anyway, so he's restored, right? But then he's also saying, and the word is actually go testify to the priests. Go tell the priests there's a new sheriff in town. Go tell the priests there's someone who is banishing leprosy with a word. So these priests are put on notice. Well, I think this is kind of the only time that in the Bible that I see where God blesses disobedience. <laughs> Don't tell anybody, and this guy cannot help it. He just goes out and tells all his people all the marvelous things that God has done for him. And you see the reason why Jesus didn't want him to tell people because it you know, as people, more and more people are healed, it's like he can't even move, he can't go anywhere, he can't do anything. Not to mention, people are, you know, Jesus knows that the kingdom of God, they're expecting it, yes, but they have a lot of misconceived expectations about what that kingdom is going to be. It's been, you know, extremely politicized to the point where the enemy is Rome and God's going to come, yes, and he's going to overthrow Rome. And Jesus said, no, the kingdom of God is actually different and deeper than that. And so he's concerned about, in, in, in the right way, controlling the narrative here a little bit. He knows it's not his time. Well, you know, this guy just couldn't contain himself, and he became an evangelist. Let's go to the second episode then there. It's really the third, so I put these out of order. But you see why I wanted to talk about the first one, because or the, the, the tax collectors and sinners first. I didn't come for those who are well, but those who are sick. Because what we see in the leper... We see a physical cleansing that parallels also that Jesus intends to cleanse us spiritually. He cleansed the tax collectors spiritually, and he cleansed the leper physically, saying that the kingdom of God, guess what? Both. The kingdom of God is doing both. Our God is one who is willing to cleanse the spiritually and the physically unclean. Chapter 2, verse 1 now. So let's talk about this paralytic. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room. And then here's Mark again. Not even at the door. <laughs> okay, This place is packed tight. And he's at home. Uh, who's home? Uh, one scholar respect a lot, like, thinks that Jesus' family moved from Nazareth to Capernaum. Again, not Jesus' home. The scripture says he had no place to lay his head, but his ancestors' family home. Could have been that. It, the home most recently mentioned in the passage in Capernaum is Peter's home. So it might have been Peter's home, but either way, it was kind of like, this was a familiar place for Jesus, okay? He's at home after many days after the leper was healed, and a lot of people hear about it, and they come to see Jesus, and there's no more room, not at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. So, again, sorry to beat a dead horse here, but what is Jesus talking about? The good news of the kingdom of God. It's like Jesus was like a, you know, a record that was just on, that's the only, that was his only song, okay? Kingdom of God. And so, basically, that's what I want to be my song. The good news I want to tell everybody is that the, G, the kingdom of God is here now through Jesus Christ, okay? That's what this is all about. So Jesus is talking to him about the kingdom. And they came. Who came? Someone came bringing a paralytic carried by four men. 
just makes me wonder how, you know, might have been a big do. <laughs> I mean, I've helped carry, I've, I've worked for a funeral home before, and I've, two of us usually were enough. <laughs> People are like, you're guys are like, whoa, you did that? Yeah, I did that. <laughs> so four men, how far did they carry him? We don't know. But here's four guys bringing a paralytic. No implication, by the way, that, you know, sometimes there's a connection between, you know, our physical, or excuse me, our spiritual um, sickness that leads to physical sickness, like, oh, God's in a sense judging me because I have spiritual problems, I have a physical problem. That's not what's going on here. And by the way, that's not always the case. Look at Job. Job was a righteous man who suffered, in a sense, unrighteously. So this paralytic is coming. There's no indication that he's any kind of a, uh, like a tax collector and a sinner, none of that. He's being carried by four of his friends, and they come to this familiar place where Jesus is at, and there's no room to get in. So how many people were there? We don't exactly know, but excavations say that most houses in and around that area that they've excavated, at least to this point, I mean, there could have been some bigger and smaller, but it's about 20 feet. So it's like, you know, about there, square. So probably like half of this stage. So how many people can you jam in here? Okay, everybody, let's try it. No, I'm just <laughs> So they're all in there, listening to Jesus talk about the kingdom of God, totally unaware of, these para- of the paralytic being carried by four of his friends. Verse 4, and when those four friends could not get near him, that's probably a worship connotation. That word drawing near to God is a worship concept, and so... You know, there's this idea of the paralytic trying to draw near to God. He also would have had multiple challenges and barriers to actually going to the temple himself. So he, like the leper, was also one who was kind of ostracized and marginalized from worshiping God. They drew near, but they couldn't get there because of the crowd. (laughs) They removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, again, Mark's storytelling here, he says it twice They removed the roof. We get the picture mark. They had made an opening. Yeah, that's what we assumed. (laughs) So, you know, this is one of my favorite stories. When I was a young guy training for ministry, the pastor that was mentoring me said, get a couple of stories from Jesus that you love so that you can tell them and just be familiar with them. And this is one, one that I love to tell. But I'm always learning something new, and I learned something new this week. I always thought the roofs were kind of tiles, like clay tiles, and they would have just like reached down and kind of nice and neatly, and you know, that's my 21st century, uh, like American style. That is, this was a dirty affair, <laughs> okay? Those roofs were beams, you know, not as big as these beams, but big wooden beams, and then mud and thatch roofs and trees and all that kind of stuff. And so the word there, when it says that uh, they, uh, they took off the roof, oh, lost my place. They removed the roof, and when they made an opening, Made an opening is the Greek word for dig. (laughs) So these guys are digging into the roof. Now, you're in there. You're loving what Jesus is saying. You know about the leper. All this stuff. It's like, this is great. It's like, the room is packed. This is awesome. We're with Jesus. Close, familiar surroundings. And you just start to hear, And stuff starts falling on your head. There's no way it couldn't have. The room was packed. And then, (laughs) how big of an opening do you need? Like, I started thinking, okay, they dug in there. This was tough. Like, (laughs) at some point, there's a hole, and you can see, and they just keep digging. They're not doing it vertical. (laughs) They're not like slipping him down. Got this whole thing for a a stretcher. And then they got ropes, apparently, in the four corners, and they're just like letting him down. Like a pulley system. And then now we don't know what happened. But you know, they're probably holding the rope. Maybe they put him on the ground. I don't know, but maybe they're just holding the rope, and they're everyone's just like, what is going on? What is Jesus going to do? And then Jesus goes, your sins are forgiven. (laughs) Let me back up. Stay right there. 
If I had been one of those four friends, by the way, that is not the plan I would have gone with. Okay? If the house was packed, this is what I would have done. This is a little bit bold, brash, whatever. I would have knocked on the door. I'm like, hey, hey, hey. I need you folk, get out. we got a paralyzed guy here, more important than you, make way. And I just would have gone in through the door. But apparently, these four guys had a conversation, and one of them was like, let's go through the roof. It's like, how did that make it past the marketing meeting? You know what I mean? So anyway, they've dug a hole in the roof. And by the way, not their roof. This might have been Jesus' roof or Peter's. So either way, either the Lord himself or the chief apostle, you have now put a hole in their house. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And these guys are there holding the rope. And they look at each other and go, is that why we brought him? <laughs> your sins are forgiven? And Jesus specifically does that, again, to declare and demonstrate the comprehensive nature of the kingdom. You guys need to know that this kingdom of God is so great and so wonderful that it has power to cleanse and restore inside and out. And so Jesus, to make a point that he is there not just to heal in some general kind of way, but to announce the very kingdom of God, says to this paralytic, your sins are forgiven. And what that does to the religious establishment, who's there again, spying on Jesus, they're like, well, only God can forgive sins. And their theology is right, and Jesus goes, you got it. Mark chapter 1, John the Baptist came preparing the way for the Lord. Jesus is not just another in the line of David. He's not just this, you know, you know one of the potential fulfillments. He's the fulfillment of all of it. He is God's presence coming back to Israel. And by the way, that paralytic could have gone to the temple. Again, he would have been, had barriers and it'd be marginalized a little bit for sure, but he could have found forgiveness through the normal channels. But Jesus wasn't announcing just that kind of forgiveness. Jesus was announcing the, the big forgiveness of everything, all of our sins, for all time. And so what perturbed those religious leaders is that Jesus was announcing that kind of forgiveness apart from their whole system and leadership. It's all about me. And Jesus said, you want to know, you know, this gospel of Mark, who is Jesus? He is the Son of God, truly God and truly man. He has come to bring the kingdom of God, and he can forgive you of all of your sins. Once and for all. No one else does that. No one else can do that. Only God can do that, and that's who Jesus is. And so then Jesus says, here's a challenge. It's easy for me to say, your sins are forgiven. You know? You wouldn't know that one way or the other. I say to Mike Melnick, Mike, your sins are forgiven. And you guys can all be like, huh. Unverifiable. But if there were a paralytic hanging from the ceiling who couldn't walk for most of his life, and he was probably local to the area, and everybody knew it, and Jesus says, okay, you want to know who I am? You want to know I have authority? An argument from the greater to the lesser. I can, definitely, I can definitely forgive sins as a son of man if I can tell this man right here, rise, take up your bed, and go home. That man got up, took his bed, and all of a sudden there was room in the house for him to get out, apparently. <laughs> Walked right out the back. People made way. And I would have said to my friends, that's what we should have done in the first place. <laughs> so let's finish with a little bit of application. And the first has to do with this idea of miracles. It's a little bit of an aside, but there's so many miracles that are happening, I think we as a church need to talk about it. Miracles in the kingdom of God, look at those first two. The kingdom of God is already present, so miracles are necessary and expected. This pushes back on one aspect of the church that would be very suspicious and very reluctant to acknowledge that Jesus is still doing miracles today. And by miracles, we're talking about physical restorations like leprosy and like uh, paralyzed and people being resuscitated from the dead. All the things that you see here in the Gospel of Mark and Matthew and Luke, is Jesus still doing those things today? 
And our answer to that question here is yes, he absolutely is, because the kingdom of God is here. There's this scholar named Craig Keener. I invite you to go check it out because I'm naturally suspicious and skeptical myself. And Craig Keener is a, a PhD from Duke University, not exactly a naive, you know, simpleton type of a guy. He's one of the world's foremost scholars on ancient first century Judaism, Greco-Roman, all of that stuff. You, I take you into my office right now. The guy wrote a commentary on Acts. It's four volumes. It's that thick. So he's a scholar scholar, okay? He set out to find out about miracles. His wife is actually a PhD. Uh, she's of African descent. And so, um, you know, they've got a lot of experience there. And so he traveled Africa, Asia, Europe, all over the place, North America. And he wrote a two-volume work in 2010 based on just miracles that had been performed, verified by doctors all over the world. Two volumes. Well, no one read that because it's too long. And so he made this one in 2021. And I'm like, <laughs> so that's the one I bought. And... You know, he talks about actually a paralyzed person in this book. And I was like, oh, well, I'll see what that has to say. And many of you know Dave and I are from Syracuse. There was a Syracuse connection in that particular miracle. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, that's crazy. And there's actually a Ukrainian person there. I was like, oh, my, okay, Lord. So let's just talk about this. So there's a guy, last name's Lepore, I think, Brian Lepore. And he's a police officer. He was injured in the line of duty and uh, broke, I think it was C3 or C4, something like that, and spinal cord injury and lost the right side of his body, paralysis, upper and lower extremities. And so this was 2008, so not that long ago. And um, you know, for five years, to 2013 to 2014, in that time frame, went to all kinds of doctors, all kinds of therapists, doing everything he could, Christian praying, people praying for his healing, not getting healed, getting frustrated, getting you know, angry and upset with God, had migraines constantly for years, just you know, his, you know, basically said, Lord, I, he's, I wanna die. Had recently been married, had just had a couple of kids, and you know, had a promising career in the police force, and, and now this had happened to him. So, um, so fast forward to 2019, so it's been five years since he's been to the doctors, really. His wife is still saying, the Lord can do this, the Lord can heal him. And for my birthday and Mother's Day and our anniversary, all into one, just come to this conference where there's going to be preaching and, and teaching, and there's going to be prayer for healing, and I want you to come this with me. And he's like, I don't, I don't want another person laying their hands on me, I don't want another person praying for me, I'm done, I don't, I'm, I'm just... But he's like, but as a husband, you're like, well, all three in one. <laughs> pretty tough to pass up, you know what I'm saying? Like, so, so anyway, and that's his joke, by the way. You can go watch his testimony, which I did, 47, 45, 47-minute testimony. Super down-to-earth guy. And um, yeah, so he goes to the conference. And he's there. There's a bunch of people there. But toward the end, a lot of people had left, and most of the praying. And, and they had actually asked people to come up and to, and to be prayed for for healing. And and he was like, all right, just give it one more shot. But they didn't really talk about his particular issue. And he's like, come on, I got this $100,000 bionic leg here that instead of a walker or a wheelchair, he had this like, like bionic leg type thing that was helping him walk. Can't the preacher see I have this? <laughs> preacher at the end says, well, if anyone else wants to pray for anything else, just come on up. And there's only about a handful, 20, 20, 15, 15, 20 people in the room left. Comes forward and uh, there's a prayer team of young students there. It wasn't even like the preacher or the pastor or the main speaker, right? And he... He just feels like he should go left. He goes to this young lady named Julia. She's from Syracuse. The conference is in Pennsylvania, so she's training for this, and she prays for him, and she puts her hand on his chest, his shoulder, and says, no, that's not where I need healing. I need healing on my neck. So he touches her, or she touches his neck and prays for him and feels this warm sensation, and he falls to the ground. He gets back up, and he just feels like strength in his leg and takes the brace off, sits down at the altar for a second, kind of like a couple people helping him, but within like five minutes, he's walking around the auditorium. No brace, no nothing. I'm like, and if I'm 100% I'm honest, like, I, like, just so you know, like, I was like, okay, what, what group is this? <laughs> I don't agree with the group, totally. But, I mean, here's this guy giving this testimony. Goes back to his doctor, and the doctor's, I feel like me. He's like, oh, yeah, I kind of believe in God. I think miracles can happen, but I've never seen anything like this. And put on the doctor's report acute miracle, restoration of upper and lower extremities, there were still some residual effects. But on the video, you know, his, his arm was clenched in like this, his right arm, and his, his hand was tight, he couldn't open it up. And on the video, he just keeps going like this. <laughs> it's crazy. And so, 
my point in saying this is I want us to realize that the kingdom of God is present here and Jesus is still alive and the Holy Spirit is still doing miracles in and through his people in the church through prayer. He's still doing it. Now, just because he's still doing it doesn't, in a sense, mean we're entitled to it. Or just because he doesn't do the miracle doesn't mean the person is in sin either. We have a hard time. It's like if God's going to heal one person, he's going to heal everybody. If he's not going to heal everybody, he's going to heal nobody. And that's just not how it works. In the kingdom of God, we, miracles are necessary because the kingdom is breaking in and expected. And because the kingdom of God is not fully realized yet, suffering and death are necessary and expected. And we just have a hard time holding those things together. Go with me to Acts chapter 12. Just to kind of like solidify this point for us. Acts 12, 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. So here's a political ruler, leader. He's seizing people who are a threat for various reasons. These people belong to the church. They were Christians. They were participants in the kingdom of God. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that that pleased the Jews, he arrested Peter also. This was during unleavened bread. He seized him, put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him. <laughs> These Christians were tough to hang on to. <laughs> four squads. Intending after Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made for him to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, again, this is execution day, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. That's called peace that passes understanding. <laughs> You're waking up to your execution, and he's sleeping. And he's not sleeping, just sleeping. He's sound. He's getting REM right now. <laughs> the sentries before the door were guarding the prison, and behold, the angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. You would think that would have woke him up. Nope. Struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Said, get up quickly. Chains fell off his hands. Angel said to him, dress yourself, put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. It's like getting a three-year-old out the door. Come on, Peter. Get your shoes on. Put your coat on. Put your shirt on. Let's go. We got to go. And Peter did not know what was being done by the angel was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. And when he passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out along the street, and immediately the angel left him. And Peter came to himself and said, Hmm, now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod. It's like Peter's so sharp, right? Oh, I, I think I've been liberated. Yeah, no more chains, buddy. Again. It's awesome, that story about Peter. We love it, we laugh, it's great. But what about James? That's, the, that's why I read that. James was killed with a sword. What if you're James's family? What if James was your pastor? Why do you deliver Peter and not James, Lord? The short answer to that question is because his kingdom and his purposes, and we all belong to him. And so, brothers and sisters, I want us to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. I want us to be open and eager and prayerful and full of faith that God will do things in the present miraculously and at the same time be able to recognize that he doesn't always do it and it's not always a sin issue of like you just don't have enough faith. Both of these things are existing in the kingdom of God at the same time and we need to hold them both. And so, you know, a couple of other things that are up there, you know, the miracles that should be happening in our church are in the spiritual realm. People are brought from death to life spiritually. They get to know Jesus in ways they never had before. And spiritual breakthroughs, overcoming addiction and difficulties and relational barriers, those type of miracles are happening. And because we're in the kingdom of God, we can pray for and should pray for healing. Both of those realms, by the way, require faith. They do require faith. You see the faith in the leper when he comes out, implores on his knees, I know you can do it. Amen? And Jesus saw the faith of the people digging out the roof. So faith is a requirement. 
Everyone, though, in the kingdom of God will eventually experience power, love, and grace of God in both realms. That's Revelation 21. In Revelation 21, new heaven, new earth, new bodies, no more pain, no more crying, no more suffering, and we will experience the fullness of the kingdom of God there comprehensively, all of us. Amen? Amen. Again, an important pastoral caveat. Just because faith is necessary does not mean that a lack of physical miracle is always due to a lack of faith. Miracles in the physical realm are signs that point to the reality of the kingdom and the spiritual realm. So if you're a person who's been healed, or you know other people that have been healed, the reason Jesus was doing that then and the reason Jesus is doing that now is to affirm the reality of the kingdom of God. And so that is a beautiful, wonderful application from this. And so may the Lord increase our faith. One final thing to speak of and it's just by way of reminder, I pointed it out a couple of times already. We need to know who our God is. He's the God who fellowships with sinners because he's called them to repentance. And so if you're here and you're like, man, I'm so far from God, he would never want me in his kingdom. It's absolutely wrong. He's like, you're who I came for. If you're here and you feel spiritually and morally and emotionally unclean, Jesus is saying, I'm willing. Be clean. If you're here and you feel unable, you're like the paralytic, you don't even have enough faith or enough power or strength to get to Jesus, you know, praise God for great friends, right? <laughs> I think of all the friends in the Bible, the paralytic's got the best friends. I mean, what a growth group that must have been carried him all the way, digging through the hole. We want to be like that for sure. But our God is the one who takes people who are unable in their own strength and makes them able. This is our God. This is the one we're following. This is the one we want to get to know. Ask Pastor Dave to come and close us in prayer and song.